Welcome to Homegrown History with Limestone County archivist Rebecca Davis and longtime Athens, Alabama native Richard Martin. Each episode, Richard and Rebecca bring to life some of the famous and infamous stories etched in Limestone County's rich history. Hello and welcome back to Homegrown History, your Limestone County History podcast. I'm Rebecca Davis, archivist at the Limestone County Archives. I'm here with my co-host. I'm Richard Martin, the oldest one here. That's right. And uh, we've had a discussion. Even today, you're still the oldest one here. Thank God. (laughs) Yes, we're glad you're here. So we are glad that you're back joining us again for the second part of our discussion with David Malone and Charlotte Fulton about the history and stories of Trinity School that was here in Athens from 1865 to 1970. It was the only high school for African-American students from when the war ended all the way up until desegregation. And if you haven't listened to the first episode, uh, go back and listen because you're going to want to hear all the groundwork that we laid and especially some of David's insights as a Trinity graduate who has stayed active with the school ever since, continues to. And also, one of the things that I didn't mention in the first episode, but I want to mention this from the outset, All you're getting is just a little appetizer, just a little taste of the history. And I would encourage anyone who's interested in this topic to pick up a copy of Holding the Fort, A History of Trinity School. Charlotte is the author of that book. She is the Trinity historian. And it's $40. And the um, sales benefit the Athens Limestone Community Association in its work to continue Trinity's legacy and the facilities there. You can pick those up at the Limestone County Archives or from any ALCA member. The Athens Limestone Community Association has a Facebook page by that name. And you can message on there if you want to try to pick one up. So I want to make sure I mention that from the outset so I don't forget, like I did in the first half of this conversation, that you need the book. And so with that, let's go right into it. Charlotte, David, I'm glad to have y'all back again to talk a little bit more about uh, Trinity history. Just in a nutshell, when we wrapped up, we had talked about how Trinity was established downtown uh, by white missionaries to educate former slave enslaved people. And in the beginning, it was people from all ages who were wanting an education. And in 1906, when the building burned, it moved to within the walls of the former Fort Henderson, which was the Union Fort, where former enslaved people had fought for their freedom. And now their children and grandchildren were there getting an education. And all the way through when that building burned, a new one was built in 1914. And we talked about some of the principles and some of the programs there uh, up until the school transitioned over into being a limestone county public school in 1956 and it stayed that until it was closed due to desegregation in 1970. So that kind of gets you up to date on just the quick overview of the history but what we want to focus on this time and one of the things that's always fascinated me and I know Charlotte and Richard and David too even even as a Trinity student maybe some of these stories that you didn't know about former students and principals, teachers, and so on, who really went on to make their mark in the world. And so I I wanted us to talk about that today, Charlotte, if you want to kind of get us started with um, some of the stories that you know and the people that you learn, and and a little bit too about how you came to learn all of this. Okay. Um, As I told you in the first segment, the American Missionary Association teachers were, by and large, white and female. Mm -hmm. And there was a reason why they sent female teachers. Um, 
men in the South would not do anything to assault a white female teacher. But sometimes when they sent male teachers, didn't happen here in Athens, but it happened in other places that I read about. Uh, one or two of them even disappeared. Some mm. were beaten and some were just treated so roughly that they went back home. Mm-hmm. So in the early years, we're talking about white female teachers until Trinity graduates began to teach at Trinity. And there were uh, three very early, Lavinia Harris-Williams, who was also one of the women who made bricks for mm-hmm. the first school. She became the first African-American teacher to teach at Trinity. She graduated in 1887, but she started teaching in 1892 because her husband, who was pastor of Trinity Congregational Church here, had died, and she had two children and no means of support. She had some education above high school, but she didn't have a college degree, and she taught there. The next two teachers were there just within a few years, and they were Ella Thomason and Daddy Mae Miller Bridgeforth. Mm -hmm. They both had gone to Fisk. So before the turn of the century, there were college-educated African-American teachers at Trinity. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what was that? 90 years or something like that before public schools were integrated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the students always had the opportunity to see the two races working together well. But later on, the faculty became more multicultural. For instance, in 1940, a Japanese man came here. His name was Tsuyoshi Matsumoto. Mm -hmm. He came here to teach music, but he also was a wonderful artist and a lot of fun. The students loved him. But you know what happened in 1941 when Mm -hmm. the uh, Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and the FBI showed up to pick up Mr. Matsumoto. Wasn't he out going for a walk and just didn't come back or something like that because the FBI nabbed him while he was on his walk? I'm not sure about that. I talked to Ms. Wright, whose husband was the principal at Mm -hmm. the time, and she talked about them coming in and going through his room with a fine-tooth comb and taking some things out, I guess, that they thought might be pertinent to their case. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why he was suspected is that as an artist, he was always out drawing things. And I think maybe people saw him, knew he was from Japan, thought maybe he was making plans and drawing diagrams. And so they became very suspicious of him. Hmm. But he spent a few months in detainment, and then he was released but Mr. Wright felt that he couldn't guarantee his safety here mm-hmm. because there was a lot of hostility toward the Japanese. So he was sent back to his home. Um, another person that I want to mention on the faculty was Mary Emma Perkins. Now, she was one of the white women mm-hmm. that I mentioned, but her dedication was just outstanding. She came here in 1889. She stayed here almost 50 years. Mm-hmm. And when she died, by her own request, she was cremated and her ashes were scattered on the campus. I wanted to mention her because, to me, she is the symbol of dedication. Mm -hmm. And Um, there's actually a monument to her still uh, in front of the pond there at the Pinchum Lincoln Center, isn't there? Yes, there is a reminder of her, Mm -hmm. as if we could ever forget her. Um, Another faculty member during the 40s was an African dancer. 
Uh, he had come to America to get an education at Hampton, and there he joined a dance troupe that became very famous and performed in New York City. I'm not sure how he wound up in Athens, but he <laughs> did. And I talked to another teacher there who said she had been a little bit of a dancer in her lifetime, and so she and he did some uh, dances for the audience there, for the students. And there was one white Southern teacher, the only one, female. Her name was Beth Torrey, and she had been an African missionary before she came to Athens, and after she left here, she went back to Africa. Hmm. But um, I'm sure people thought, what in the world is she doing here? Why did she come to Athens? Right. Right. Um, And then the students were equally amazing. Every decade had many outstanding students, many more than I'll mention here. Uh, You probably know about Patty Malone, Mm -hmm. who was a student here from the 1860s, and she was sent to Fisk early because she was so... uh, And that's Fisk University in Nashville. Fisk University in Nashville, yes, because she was so talented in voice and piano. And um, I guess Miss Wells felt that she had given her all the training that she could give her here. Well, Patty eventually wound up joining the Fist Jubilee Singers in mid-tour in Europe, and she stayed with that group until her death in 1897. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's interesting about Patty, two of the most prized possessions that we have at the Limestone County Archives that are part of the Trinity Collection housed there are an original photograph of the Fist Jubilee Singers with Patty there is part of the member, you know, she's on the left end of that photo. And we actually have her opera glasses that she carried with her on that trip to Europe when she toured with the Fisk Jubilee Singers. And that was the tour where she actually sang for the Queen of England, wasn't it? Yes. I had mentioned Lavinia Harris-Williams, who was the first African-American to teach at Trinity. The two others, the two other early ones, were Ella Thomason, who's father and grandmother were among the very earliest Trinity students. Mm -hmm. And the third one was Daddy Mae Miller, who followed soon after her. Um, Both of them graduated from Fisk. Daddy Mae Miller married George Ruffin Bridgeforth, who also was a Trinity graduate of 1894. Um, He studied at Talladega. He became the first African-American graduate of Massachusetts Agricultural College at Amherst. Wow. And from 1902 to 1918, he was at the Tuskegee Institute, where he taught under uh, Booker T. Washington and with George Washington Carver. After that, he became the superintendent of Industrial and Educational Institute of Topeka, Kansas, which they called the Western Tuskegee. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he came back after his retirement in 1926, and he taught at Trinity. So he brought a lot of experience with him. Um, He had a cousin named Sousa Bridgeforth, who did not graduate from Trinity, but he attended there. Then he moved to Nashville. He bought a nightclub that hired performers, including Little Richard, Aretha Franklin, Etta James, B.B. King. Wow. Then he bought the Birmingham Black Barons and played for them. And, That's one um, way to ensure you get a place on the roster, yes. isn't it? <laughs> uh, he played for them until he was 42. And when he died just a few years ago, he was the last living African-American owner in the black... Uh, Negro, Negro, Negro League. Yes, yeah, Negro exactly. League. 
Thank That's you. interesting. And George Ruffin is the Bridgeforth that Lincoln Bridgeforth Park is named after. Is that right? That's correct. Which is adjacent to the old Trinity School. And most people around here call it the Fort. Yes. <laughs> call that park the Fort. And his home is up near the Fort. Oh, okay. And we'll get to Lincoln here in a minute, too, won't we? Right. <laughs> um, Not Abraham. Then there were uh, there was Dean Yarbrough, who graduated in 1917 from uh, Trinity, and he was 14 years old when he graduated. Wow. He earned a Ph.D. at the University of Pittsburgh. He was active in the Urban League in Ohio and New York City. He taught sociology at Wilberforce in Ohio. He became president of Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee. I want you to remember that Urban League because we had, all through the different decades, we had people who formed units of the NAACP or acted as the head or were in Urban League or established early childhood education programs. So there were continually people who were working for education, for civil rights, for Mm -hmm. human rights. Um, A little earlier than that, right around the turn of the century in 1901 and 1906, respectively, we had two graduates who went on to become medical doctors. They were Alexander Collier and Franklin Noah Turner. They both graduated from Fisk and Meharry, and they both became practicing physicians. Then there were brothers. How common was that back then for a black man to be a practicing physician? Well, not very common at all. This community that I can think of just had four or five in those early years, early years being up to 1950 or so. So, I remember one uh, that that lived on Brown's Ferry, Dr. Payton. Uh, He was was a doctor when I was a child, in fact. I was hit with a rock, and he had to sew my hair. Oh, wow. Yeah, you remember that, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, then I'm going to mention a couple of brothers. These were in a bigger family, and all of them did good things, but I'm going to mention just these two. And I will also mention that there were many families who had 8, 9, 10, 11 children, mm-hmm. all of whom graduated from Trinity, and many times all of whom graduated from college, mm-hmm. and many times most of whom went on to teach. But these particular brothers were the Sheffields. Leon Sheffield, who graduated in 1930, and his brother Oliver, who graduated in 1934, they both became educators. Uh, you may be familiar with the Leon Sheffield name in Decatur, the Leon Sheffield Magnet School. I was going to say, I know I recognize that yes, name, so that's that, down down in Morgan County, yes, Decatur. Yes, uh, that was named for the Trinity graduate. His brother Oliver became a chemist. And he was a co-author of a 15-volume reference book called Encyclopedia of Explosives. Oh, wow. He helped found a college, uh, the County College of Morris in New Jersey, and the science building there is named in his honor. And that's just one example of people whose names appear in buildings Mm -hmm. or are otherwise in the public eye these days who are Trinity graduates. Uh, Bertha Kane Ball, who graduated in 1930, 38, taught in Portland, Oregon, and she was a founding and a lifelong member of the NAACP in Vancouver, and she worked for uh, civil rights there. When she was a student here at Trinity, she was taught by Louise Allen, and Louise Allen taught her this poem that she recited to me, a beautiful poem, and she said that Miss Allen would walk around during lunch 
eating her lunch. I believe she had somebody carry her tray, and she would eat her lunch, and she would have students recite things for her because she had been an elocutionist when she was a student. And this woman, how many years later, probably 60 or 70 years later, more than that, she graduated in 1938, she could still recite this poem that oh, Miss wow. Allen had taught her. And then there was Robert Penn, who graduated in 1940. Uh, I see some smiles around the That's table. We remember stories. him. Yeah. He lived out in East Limestone. He uh, walked, what was it, six miles to school and six miles back six days a week because he had to work for his tuition. He didn't have time to do all of the work that was required before after school because he also had chores at home. His dad was a big farmer. So he walked there on Saturday also. And he told stories about the white school bus passing and throwing rotten tomatoes and things like that at him. And sometimes he and his brothers and sisters would have to go into the furnace room to dry off before they could go to class. That's um... But he graduated from Tuskegee, and he got his law degree from what is now Case Western Reserve. He was a municipal court judge in Toledo, Ohio for 31 years. And he was the president of a symphony orchestra association there. He had gotten interested in music through some of his experiences at Trinity. So you can see that there was a well-rounded curriculum there, mm-hmm. not, not just the three R's. Mm-hmm. And then there was Charles Eric Lincoln. He's the Lincoln in the Lincoln Bridge Fourth Park and the Pincham Lincoln right. Center. He graduated in 1952. He earned degrees from Lemoyne and Fisk and the University of Chicago and Boston University. He lectured at prestigious colleges all over the world. He retired from Duke University in 1993 as a professor of religion and culture, and he wrote or co-wrote 22 books. And there was his classmate, Robert Hold up, I want to stop with Lincoln for just a second. Okay. Um, one of the most interesting books to me that Lincoln wrote was The Avenue. Yes. And because he based that on growing up in Athens, Alabama, although he said... He never admitted... He never admitted <laughs> that there was any resemblance to any real people. Right. But what are your thoughts on that, David? Well, I asked him at his home, in his office, uh, oh, about two or three years before he passed, I asked him if it was true. And he says there's some truth in all friction. Right, That's exactly. The only Exactly. But now, you know, some, especially some of the old timers probably go through that book and point out and, and name every person who those fictional characters were based on. Yes. They? And the location that he talks about in mm-hmm. the book, it still exists there in the black community. Right. And, you know, his wife, Lucy Lincoln, is still alive and active and, and is yes. a contributor to yes. the ALCA. And, Oh, it led to one of my most embarrassing moments, huge faux pas, when we opened up the Pincham Lincoln Center in 2015, and we had the Christmas tree with the ornaments on it, and it was a souvenir, you know, everybody could take an ornament. This little bitty lady, Tass, was just like, can I have one extra ornament, please? And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, there, it's just one per person. And somebody said, you know who this is? This is Dr. Lincoln's wife. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes, take all the ornaments you want. If your name's on the building, it's in the rules. If your name's on the building, you get all the ornaments you want. I thought, oh my goodness. 
She was sweet as she could be about it, though. <laughs> but she's been a continues to carry on his legacy of contribution to Trinity as well, doesn't she? She does, and she's a wonderful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next buddy is Robert Eugene Pincham, mm-hmm. and his name also is on the building as a big contributor to Trinity and its legacy. He graduated the same year. He went to Tennessee State and Northwestern. He was circuit court judge of Cook County, Illinois, and later a justice in the appellate court of Illinois. Uh, he ran for mayor, and he... In Chicago. In Chicago. And he had a very respectable showing, although he did not win. I understand also from things that I read after his death that he was a pretty humble person and also a very proud person. Uh, somebody wrote about how he had been walking along the streets with Judge Pincham talking to him, and he turned and realized he wasn't by him anymore. And he turned around and looked, and he had stopped at the spot where this man was sitting and begging. And he gave him some money, but he said, Stand up. Mm-hmm. I never want to see you begging again. Go oh, wow. out and do something to make yourself proud. Wow. Well, and um, along the, along those lines with Pincham and Lincoln, they knew what it was like to literally dig sewage ditches because one of the real gold mines of the Trinity Collection, which is the entire Trinity Collection at the archives, is a gold mine, and and particularly for people who want to study and learn about African-American history and genealogy in Limestone County because Trinity touches all of that. Pretty much every family in, in this county who's been here any amount of time has some connection to Trinity. But one of the collections we have is the photos and papers of Jay Wright, who was principal when Pinchum and Lincoln were there. And there's lots of good papers and things, but he was a bit of a shutterbug and really liked having the latest technology. So he actually took color pictures in 1940 of scenes around Trinity, including Judge Pincham as a teenager in the basement digging the sewage ditches. Because that was Wright's thing. His whole motto was learning by doing, wasn't it? Yes. And so he had students, you know, have a bit of a practical education in addition to, like you said, the three R's. But Pincham knew what it was like to have to get down in the dirt, and then he, you know, still carried that with him even as he rose to some of the... But one thing that he did tell me while he was attending Trinity is that he often went shopping for the teachers there at Trinity. And uh, the reason he did that, it was because the merchants in Athens wouldn't sell them anything because they were trying to teach black people to read and write. Mm -hmm. Good story. Uh, We're still in the 1940s. There were a lot of amazing people during that period, and one of them was Daisy Tibbs. Uh, She was an orphan, as many of the students were in early days, but still in 1943, here was this orphaned family of three children, I believe, going to Trinity. Daisy went on to earn her degree in home economics in Oregon, and following World War I, she went on a mission to Hiroshima to build homes for the people who had been bombed there. And her name is on a plaque at a recently opened museum in Hiroshima. It's one of the houses they actually worked on. I think wow. that was pretty amazing to have someone recognized for her work in, in Japan. Japan. Right, exactly. 
Um, then there was Charles Tisdale, also around 1943. He gained attention for his journalism for his coverage of the Emmett Till case. Yes. And later on, he became owner and publisher of the Jackson Advocate in Jackson, Mississippi. So again, a big advocate for civil rights. And um, then James Watkins in 1969, mm-hmm. you know, it continues right up until the present. James Watkins graduated in 1969. He became a world-renowned ceramicist. His work has been shown in the Smithsonian. It's on permanent display in Japan. He has taught all over the world. He's co-authored two books, and he's the subject of another. He's a professor at the College of Architecture at Texas Tech in Lubbock. And he got his inspiration from things like the shapes in the cotton mills. He would draw on little matchboxes. And uh, they didn't have the money to buy art paper, so he would use old calendars that his mother saved for him. Wow. And he would do his art that way. That's cool. And then there's Robert Mayberry, who was one of the ones who didn't get to graduate there. He went to Tanner to mm-hmm. graduate after integration. He got his Ph.D. from the University of California in Berkeley, He's been a senior epidemiologist at the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta. He founded his own company to provide scientific expertise for health and human service organizations. And I'm not going to attempt to name the educators and the ministers who have graduated there, but I will say so many of the pulpits and the teachers' desks have been and still are being filled by Trinity graduates. So it's just a, a, an amazing, ever-expanding contribution to culture and society and science and the military and all facets of life. Exactly. And, and this just skims the surface. And like you said, if you want to know more, the book goes into a lot more detail. And um, I appreciate you sharing all those stories. And just to kind of wrap up our discussion, because I know our time is running short, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with Trinity today. So after Trinity closed in 1970, the building sat empty until about when, David? It sat empty until um, probably about 1980. Mm -hmm. Now, was that when the ALCA was originally formed? Around that time, yes. Okay, Athens Limestone Community Association. And that sort of sprang up out of Trinity graduates all getting together for a reunion, didn't it? Yes, we had a reunion on the yard there. And uh, I think it might have been about 81, 82. Mm -hmm. I have pictures of my daughter, Cecily, at two years old. Wow. And uh, Judge Pincham came down for that reunion, and uh, at that time, the auditorium still exists, so we had a program in the auditorium, and I think at that time, he gave $1,000 to the Trinity Organization at that time, ALC. First seed money, huh? Yeah. yeah. But uh, one thing that amazed me about Trinity, the people that f- finished school at Trinity went off to college and came back to teach other yes. students. That's now right. That, you know, like when I was there, we had uh, Benny Higgins and Carrie Gordon, class of 49. Right. We had Ela Washington, the class of 53, her sister, Artine Campbell, yep. class of 57. Then we had Maddie Murray, but there was so many, I can't name them all, mm-hmm. that 
left Trinity, went off to college, and came back to teach Trinity students. And this was even more remarkable when you consider this was during the time frame of the great exodus of a lot of black families from the South to head north for better opportunity, and yet they were coming back. But also that great exodus is part of why Trinity's influence has spread throughout the whole country and beyond is because people were educated in Trinity, but then they went on to other communities and other states and, you know, had a great influence there. So yeah, that's part of why it spread. But you're right, for them to come back at a time when they knew it was still not, you know, the most opportunity. Right. They, you know, they had a college degree. They could have gone other places and made more money, I'm mm-hmm. sure. But they decided to come back and help the community and help Trinity. That's right. So every two years, the Trinity graduates and former teachers and everybody get together for the Trinity Grand Reunion. That's kind of how this renovation and restoration of Trinity School building kind of got its impetus. And still, to this day, there are still some teachers that come, don't they? Even though a lot of them now have gone on. But they still do that, don't they? Yes, they do. They still come back. It's Labor Day weekend and even-numbered years, isn't it? It's Labor Day weekend every other year. Right. So we don't really know when we're going to do it again. Yeah, that's right. You didn't have it last year. The pandemic stopped everything. That's right. But on that weekend, y'all need to come down to the square and see the parade because all these Trinity graduates and their nice cars and their floats and everything on a boat going around the square, it's a lot of fun. And I live within earshot of, I mean, I live... Uh, about a half mile away as crow flies from the park. I can sit on my back step and I can hear all y'all Trinity graduates. Y'all know how to party. Y'all, y'all got the music going. It's great. Well, I, I don't love party it. that much no more. I've got no. <laughs> no, you ain't sitting out on my back deck, Richard. <laughs> I think it's wonderful. And so because of that, because this love has continued, so the ALCA was founded. And then in the early 1980s, there was an organization called We Want Our Children Back that met there for after-school programs and continued that tradition of, of educating children and helping them with their studies. But then by the 90s and in, in the early 2000s, the building was really getting more and more dilapidated, wasn't it? And there wasn't really anything going on there anymore at that no, time. Not, not much at all. Yeah, but the ALCA still owned it. When was it, Richard, that the, the ALCA first got the grant to renovate the building? Do you know about 2010? Something like that, yeah. Right. I think it was between 2010 and 2013. Okay. Because we reopened in 2015. 2015, right. Mm-hmm. So the ALCA received a grant to restore the building. Well, by that time, a good chunk of it had to be torn down because it was just, there was, was no the way. the city of Athens. Yes, with the help of the city of Athens. And it was a DECA grant, wasn't it? Yes. A yes. community improvement grant. And so portions of the building had to be torn down, but what remained was the old office and the uh, what had been the library, and then out back, the old band room. And those were all salvaged, restored, and in 2015, December 2015, the building was reopened as the Pincham Lincoln Center. And it's still open to this date. Now, is it open for rentals again yet? Yes, it is. Okay. We're, we're running again. That's wonderful. So that's a community center that anybody can rent out. It's also being used as a voting precinct, which is, I think, super important to have a voting precinct right there in a predominantly black area that's close enough that people can walk to or, you know, is a safe place to go and vote. And um, it's been used for a lot of other community events, too, hasn't it? Yes, it has. And I'd just like to mention uh, the uh, board of directors 
Yes. Of course, uh, you and Charlotte served on the board, did excellent jobs, but throughout the years we've had other board members that have gone on, mm-hmm. but we've just had a great group of people to work with. Mm-hmm. And one thing that's interesting about it is it's almost always been a mix of black and white people, older and younger people too, hasn't it? Yes, it has always. Throughout you know, the years. Everybody has always worked hard and everybody cares and that goes back to the love it does the board members even though they didn't attend trinity and a lot of them were white they still had that love for trinity exactly it still exists with the board members we have now exactly and so last year the alca worked with the american battlefield trust to draw up and design and install six historic interpretive panels that are located in strategic points around the campus that you can go up there. Even if you don't go in the building, you can go walk around and see these different panels that tell the story of Fort Henderson, the battles there, and then, and then the establishment of Trinity. So anyone can go. It's got, you know, pictures from our archives and from the American Missionary Association archives. And so that is there. And Richard, I want you to tell us about one of the things that I know has been a push for you to try to get done for the past few years that the ALCA is working on now, the Fat Man's Trail, trying, <laughs> as you call it. We're trying to build a fort back, and we want to build a wall about three feet tall and about a foot wide at the image of what the fort looked like, and we're going to call it the Fat Man Diabetic Trail. <laughs> so fat people that's got diabetic problems can't walk good, but they can stop anytime they want to and rest. But we hope the state of Alabama will accept that, and we build that back, and that would be wonderful. Right, and and it would follow. So the outline of Fort Henderson was like a five-pointed star, and so this wall and the walkway beside it would follow that outline and sort of recreate that. And now the ALCA is still talking about wanting to put up a monument as well, aren't they? Or at least a cannon. <laughs> well, um, Judge Pincher, before he passed, when uh, we were working on the building, he told me that in the future he would like to see a monument put on the campus to honor the white teachers that sacrificed their lives to come down to teach black Mm -hmm. people to Mm -hmm. read and write. Now, I I still want to see that done myself. And some people want to put one for Mrs. Wells. I have no objection to that Mm -hmm. either. So uh, Mm -hmm. we're still working on that, and we're talking about that. We're hopeful that something, um, we're sure that something good will come out of it. For sure, for sure. So opening the Pinchum Lincoln Center was sort of the first phase of restoring Trinity. And this trail and the markers, which we've completed that, but the trail is another phase. And then uh, ultimately, too, the does the ALCA still have plans to renovate the old band room as a museum and archives? Tell me a little bit about that. Yes, we still we have the building and we put a new roof on it. It cost us about $25,000. So we need another couple of hundred thousand dollars to build a museum that will put all these archives and even tell you about what happened on the campus there. So send your money. That's right. (laughs) No, that's the plan. So right now the archives are host at the Limestone County Archives. But with the understanding and the agreement in writing that if the ALCA opens up its own archives facility, those will go there for people to be able to study and research and also go to a museum just to learn more about some of these stories we're talking about today and the history of of Trinity and its legacy. Well, we've talked about Trinity and uh, 
I've enjoyed this very much, but one thing we didn't mention, and sure. I've got to mention that, Councilman Jimmy Gill. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. Amen. Without Amen. him, we probably wouldn't have had right had the blessing of getting all these things that's done. true he served the uh, district three for 24 years he sure did wasn't and he the longest um elected uh, city council <clears throat> person in the state is yes, that right I, I and he was a trinity graduate as well class of 66 same class as you right same he was like a brother to you wasn't he yes we yes. grew up together we raised our kids together so uh we, we must mention him in this. Uh, he's, he's a great part of the success of ALCA. Right. That's absolutely right. And there have been people all along the way who really stood up and maybe did more. But the truth is, it's taken the community all working together. And the ALCA working with the city of Athens and Limestone County and just the support. And, and one thing I do want to mention, too, before we go, is that every year the ALCA, uh, in the past few years, has been the ones to host the annual Black History Celebration. And there have been some amazing programs that have come out of that. I know Charlotte helped, well, a couple times you've helped write scripts of holding the fort as a play. And then there was also a show that was put on that kind of highlighted some of these people who were involved with Trinity. And I know Robert Mayberry that we mentioned, he came to speak one year. And so the ALCA is not just about the facility there. It's also about providing these contributions to the community that help enrich our lives. And so that's a really important part of what the ALCA's mission is as well and that provides this community. So Usually every February, the ALCA helps make that happen, the Black History Celebration. So um, as Richard mentioned, the ALCA is always accepting donations, your right. donation. So much of what has happened is there's been grants, there's been appropriations, but a lot of this is just, I won't call their names, but I know there was one graduate who sends in $20 every month. Every single month donates $20 to the ALCA. And a lot of this is just grassroots People, people who care about Trinity contributing. So if you, if you're interested in donating to Trinity, you can send your donation to the ALCA. It, it's P.O. Box 1476, right? Correct. Athens, Alabama 35612. Just make it payable to the Athens Limestone Community Association. Once again, if you're interested in the, um, holding the fort book and there's also a Trinity 1964 four cookbook? 62. 62, that's it, that has been reproduced that we also have available at the Limestone County Archives for purchase or from an ALCA board member. So yeah, there's lots of ways you can support this effort. Another way that you can support the effort of the brick project. Yes. We sell bricks. You, uh, You don't necessarily have to have attended Trinity or graduated from Trinity. If you want to put your loved ones or family members on this wall that's at the entrance to the Pinchum Lincoln Center, you can purchase a brick for $100 and you can put as much as uh, 18 characters per line on a brick. So the forms are available. You just contact me or any of the board members and we can get the forms to you. That's right. And go like the Athens Limestone Community Association on Facebook because that's where a lot of this information is and you can also keep up to date on events so with that i think we're going to call this a day once again thank you both so much for joining us i really am so excited we got to talk about this today and we could talk about it for a long time but we got places to go and people to see don't we richard that's right let's go (laughs) all right with that i'm gonna sign off i'm rebecca i'm richard y'all join us next time for another episode of homegrown history You've been listening to Homegrown History, 
presented by the Athens-Limestone County Public Library and the Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. For more information and to submit questions or suggestions, please visit limestonearchives.com. And to hear other recordings from our Library Voices series, check out our website at alcpl.org. You can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.